Hey, what's going on, everybody? This episode, I'm joined by Luke from Tooth of the Arrow Broadheads. And Luke is the owner of uh, Tooth of the Arrow, which is a broadhead company based out of Minnesota. And uh, still fairly new. They've only been around for about five years now. And uh, doing a good job, though. I've used their heads on a blacktail hunt here uh, a couple of years ago. Killed a really nice blacktail with one. So it was cool to kind of hear the story of, of where they came from, why they went with the broadhead they did and talk broadhead design and materials and stuff and kind of geek out on it a little bit while also having a really good conversation about just broadheads in general. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, just one quick warning is that there was some like glitching or scratching um, on the internet protocol. So I'm not really sure what was going on here with this episode, but there's definitely a little uh, kind of a glitchy sound every once in a while on the podcast. And not happy about it, but it is what it is. And uh, hopefully you guys can bear with it. Um, <laughs> I know... If I'm kind of a sound Nazi, and, and it's not up to my standard, but it, the content's there. It's good content, and I wanted to make sure everybody had a chance at listening to it that did uh, want the opportunity. So outside of that, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity, Luke, to come onto the show, have you on here and talk about broadheads, and uh, be able to learn from you. And I hope you guys enjoy. See you at the end. So let's get a quick introduction for you, Luke, and uh, tell me tell me a little bit about yourself and and, uh, and your product and stuff, real quick. I'm actually my name's uh, obviously Luke Allison. I'm uh, one of the owners of Tooth Theater Broadheads. Um, we're uh, we've had our product on the market now. This is the start of our fourth year of really marketing and selling it. Um, we're actually a couple different companies under one umbrella. Um, the manufacturing side, we do we do everything in house. Um, 100% American made. The manufacturing side, we've actually been around for about 35 years um, with, oh gosh, now this is our 17th year, I believe, maybe 16th, I might be saying that wrong, um, of actually working in the archery industry. So we had a lot of experience um, in the archery industry before diving into our own product and our own company um, with this, just with doing manufacturing for other larger companies in the industry. So whether people knew it or not, um, they've probably been using our products or components um, for the last 15, 16, 17 years. Okay. And so with, with, with that, we decided to branch off and start our own product line. And that's when uh, Tooth Ear was born. Perfect. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Um, is your connection on your microphones? Um, is it like station? Stationary? Oh, it should yeah, it is. It should be good. Um, okay. Give me one second. All right. Let me know. Is this okay now? I mean, let me know. It's just, okay it's just now? like, uh, it's just like for like half a second, it's like a scratch that comes through. It's really weird. But um, so with, we'll, we'll just oh, keep I, it going I, here, man. It's, it's not a big deal. Um, hopefully the, the folks will bear with us here. Uh, so with the, the background, so you guys produced like manufactured other broadheads and stuff prior to producing your own and stuff or how'd that work? Uh, not, not, yeah, so not necessarily broadheads. Um, we, ne we never max, uh, manufacture other broadheads. We did other components. Um, so we, we do have some non-disclosure uh, agreements in place, so I can't say exactly every, every one we manufacture for. Um, but, for example, some people I can say, um, you know, we do stuff for victory archery. We, we make a lot of different points. Um, we have, we do other inserts for other people. Um, basically a lot of components we've done. So we, we've never, we never actually did a full broadhead, um, but different components we've done for a long time. 
Okay, that's pretty cool. So you guys had a you know a good background in machining and designing and stuff. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me. So I guess my first question would be, why four blade? Uh, you know, that's it's uh, probably one of the least amount of, of broadhead designs out there. Is probably a, a good solid four blade. You really have a lot of three blades. You have a lot of traditional style yep. single bevel. A lot of you know two blade basically with a bleeder. Not a lot of good four blades, I'd say, out there. Yeah, I mean, you know as probably as well as anyone kind of the the history and progression of broadheads, and actually probably some of your listeners um, know better than I do of it. But you start off, you know, back in the day with fixed, mm-hmm. and then as bow speeds got faster and shots got a little bit longer, um, flight wasn't quite there, and so that's when the expandables came into play. And then the expandables made a lot of sense, obviously, because, you know, the whole fly like a field, everything else and all that related. Yeah. Um, and then the kind of the move back towards fix came in once you could get the engineering correctly to make a fix make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going to why we did a four blade over a three blade, you know, obviously there's the, you know, the, the elongated three blade inch and eighth cut. There's a lot of popular brands out there that have that style right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually our original testing and we played around with a lot of designs before we brought what we have to market. We start off with a three blade. We got it to fly great. Um, We then, you know, if you go to a four blade, you're getting a, 25% 25% more cutting surface just from going to a three to a four, a three to a four. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found that basically by making the broadhead stubbier, like shortening the ferrule length down, mm-hmm. um, then a lot of the traditional three blades that are out there right now, we could actually get the exact same flight characteristics as a typical three blade with getting 25% more cut. So we found there was more advantage, more advantages to a four blade versus a three blade mm-hmm. in our findings and our opinion, and so that's why we we rolled rolled with that one. So I've I've used your broadhead and and I've got some experience with it and, and uh, you know killed a black tail a few years ago with one. It was probably three years ago now. I don't know. It was two years ago, and it was right when kind of tooth of the arrow hit our our pro shops over here, and uh, one of my buddies was pushing them and. I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. <clears throat> you know, he's a big fan of them right out of the gate. And uh, I, I immediately went to the XL125s. And uh, yep. those, uh, they, they they spun fantastic. I mean, I, I I imagine that another benefit of having the shorter broadhead and the shorter ferrule would be that it would be easier to keep your tolerances of the straightness of the ferrule since you don't have to keep it as long. Um, did that play a role in your guys' designing at all? So a little bit. So um, kind of a two-part answer. Uh, first part of it, so we have the one-inch cut and the XL, or which is the inch and three-sixteenth cut that you referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference the only difference between the two, uh, the one-inch uh, versus the XL, the inch and three-sixteenth or the XL, is literally a 35% or 33.3% scaled up version. So okay. ferrule, 33% longer, cut length, 
33% longer. It's totally scaled up. Um, in terms of flight, because, so on our, on our, our one inch, because it is stubbier and shorter, we're keeping, you know, 93, 94, depending on what grain you're using of the weight with it within the ferrule or in the, within the diameter of the shaft. Mm-hmm. Once you get a larger cut, once you get to, yeah, you get a larger cut, you're now moving more of that weight outside the diameter mm-hmm. naturally just to get the bigger cut. Right. And the blades are making up more of the weight. And as you get at a farther distance, now wind is playing more of a factor. You know, any sort of variables, it's catching more. So, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I'm an honest guy. I'm the first person to admit that if you're taking any sort of longer shots, mm-hmm. the inch and three sixteenths probably isn't for you just because of those reasons, just because it's pushing more air and the variables can be, you know, increased at, at distance. So, right. That, and, and when I was yeah, shooting, so, so, yeah. or go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So, uh, yeah, I, I was just, you know, basically going to say that, you know, with your experience and um, in terms of tolerances, our tolerances are basically the, the same in terms of blade thickness, you know, ferrule weight, all that. But mm-hmm. just, just by increasing everything by 33% or basically a third, um, more of the weight is outside the diameter of the shaft. And that naturally is going to cause any little discrepancy in wind or other other outside factors um, to to be, you know, much more pronounced. Well, I, I'm glad you went there because I, I was going to say I, somewhere in the podcast, but we'll get it out of the way now, is back, in, and I think I've said this before, um, I was shooting your guys' broadheads along with three or four other broadheads when I was just trying to figure out which one I was wanting to shoot. And I was kind of surprised that the the four blade, the XL, was hanging with the three blades, uh, despite obvious design differences. But kind of like what you're saying, when you really dig into it, um, not so much different as far as cutting and penetration and stuff. But I noticed like around, and granted these were the XLs, but granted around 90 plus yards, I'd start getting that obvious little bit more drag out of the out of the XL as I would say like a Nap Hellraiser or a a Kudu yep. or you know and it, we're talking four to six inches at you know ninety plus yards, um, which that's yeah, yeah. That, that's actually that's actually really good. I I, I tell anyone if you're going to go over sixty, mm-hmm. uh, go with the one inch. So okay. if 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 you were getting still decent groupings at seventy five to ninety, mm-hmm. that means you're obviously a good shot and well-tuned. So, but the, 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 the normal person, the average person, I tell anything plus 60 drop down to the one inch. Cause you will not notice the difference then I, if I, you're above 60, you know, it, it then just becomes, you know, more variables, I guess. I, I, I think that's probably a really good point is, you know, I was shooting my synergy back then and that was a really accurate bow, great bow, really held steady and uh, even though it looked a little weird when it was set, after it was set up, it was a little outside versus uh, center or uh, kind of center shot was kind of being funny with it. But anyways, um, you know, it was shooting. It was just eating any broadhead I want and spinning it out perfectly, pretty much. And there was a couple that flew that didn't really agree with the setup wholeheartedly. But um, I was really surprised at how well they flew. And it's a good point that you know my 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 synergy was 
super, you know, I was shooting a lot. It was, it was super tuned. I mean, it was, it was really just a great shooting bow when it was, when it was shooting. And, uh, you know, for guys that maybe want to try the, the tooth of the arrow, the, probably the regular version, especially for tuning wise would probably be a better route than just going balls deep into the XL version and saying, Oh, here we go. You know, <laughs> cause you might run into a few more snacks yeah. versus oh. the regular version. Well, and that's, that's the thing too. I mean, the worst thing that I want someone to do is say, well, wow, take it, you know, I, I, I'm trying a brand new setup and I'm going to throw your XL on here and, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to start off at 75, 90 yards and, oh my God, you guys are off by six inches. Well, <laughs> dial it back. I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. Like dial it back. And if honestly you're that spot and stock guy that, or gal that's going to do, you know, 80, 90, you know, even a hundred year shot, maybe yeah. get your setup right get everything tuned correctly. And at that distance, I tell everyone do the one inch, you know, just go with the one inch. If you're that good of a shot, I mean, you, let's be honest. If you're that good of a shot, you can drop an animal with a field point and, and you know, you, you can do it. I mean, it's, it, it can be done. So I, yeah, the XL, I like it, but at the end of the day, they both have their places. The one inch versus the XL. Now, and, and I think that's a good, really good point. I didn't even think about that. I was just kind of going off of my experience with them, and I just said, screw it. You know, let's go with the uh, XL because I'll figure out how to tune it and everything. But um, I, I will say I was worried because it was my first experience with a straight-up four blade. I was a little worried about the, um, the, the penetration, and you kind of already went into it. And after shooting, you know, that blacktail, I think he was like 72 yards, um, didn't yep. you know he was angled a little different? I think I think when I looked down to like dial and everything, he might have like turned a little bit more quartered away, and so I put that arrow right where I thought it should have been, and yet I hit him. He, apparently, he was quartered to a little harder than I thought. He uh, or, or did something funky. Long story short, I hit him. I clipped the back hip, and it came out like in the liver area, and uh, you know went through the guts, obviously. And even though I clipped that that pretty thick bone back there. I still got a full pass through at 72 and I'm not a huge guy. I'm, you know, I'm shooting a 457 grain arrow at 280 with that setup and, uh, might not even been 280 back then, but, um, I was really, I was really shocked. I got a full pass through and, uh, you know, didn't really notice that much of a decrease in penetration. Have you actually done some testing on what the differences would be? And I know you touched on a little bit already, but I'd be curious to see what kind of Yep. testing you've done versus a, say a, it wouldn't be fair to do it versus a, a single bevel or a regular with no bleeders or anything, but versus no. a three blade. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that, that would not, definitely not be apples to apples. Um, no. basically what we're, what we're trying to do, um, is basically get a pass through, but barely that, you know, if, if your arrow blows through an animal and goes 20 yards, you didn't expel all that kinetic energy you had built up within the animal. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're trying to get a pass through, but not a ton of pass through. Makes if sense. That makes, you, know, you know what I mean? Cause you, you, you want to expel all the kinetic energy that's built up in, in that arrow, um, with, within the body of, of the animal. Um, makes sense. so we, we did a, a lot of testing and you do lose some speed by having 25% more cut. 
you know, it would be basically shooting a one inch four blade would basically be the same as shooting, um, depending on the length of ferrule. So depending how long the blades are, roughly uh, an inch and three eighths three blade. Okay. So it'd be roughly the same amount of cut. Um, but we found by shortening the ferrule, there's less planing, you get better flight out of it. So we're basically with the one inch comparing ourselves to an inch and three eighths three blade um, with the similar, you know, cut force, I, I guess you could say cut force um, for that, for that size. That, that's, but, yeah, I really so like that comparison. That's why the width of that. Yeah, I really like the comparison using like a three uh, three blade inch. And you said uh, three eighths. Or length, yes. Okay. Yep. yep. There's a couple that are out there that are a little bit longer barrel length um, that we compare it to. Obviously, you get a little more. You know, for the technical guys out there and gals out there, you get a, you get a little more decrease. Your your kinetic energy is dispersed a little quicker, just mm -hmm. given the steepness of the blades and that kind of stuff too. Um, but Generally speaking, we're very similar to an inch and three uh, three eighths versus our one inch. So your your guys's angle is um, I'm not gonna say it's very steep at all. Is it a three to one ratio? Uh, it's just a hair over. Yes. Okay, because uh, a lot of guys are saying that the three to one, and this kind of goes back to the old you know traditional style of thinking. Three to one's yep. you know yep. one of the best ratios you can get out there for penetration wise. Yep. It's just a hair over, yeah, but okay. very, very close. And that that was kind of one of our starting points. Okay, that's really cool. And so for guys that, that maybe haven't seen your head, I the best way I can describe it is a, it's a cut on contact. And the thing that I really like is that, the, I mean, I've shot, you know, cinder blocks with these things um, up close. I don't know if you saw the video, the destruction video that um, I, I did yeah. with the bro yep. guys. Um, I'm not sure if it made the, made the video or not, but I shot your broadhead right into basically a cement brick and or a cinder block yep. and it bounced right back and was like what do you got <laughs> you know like that front end yeah. of the arrow um is really beefy and uh i i it's like a beefed up almost like a beefed up trocar front because all the blades come yep. together but then the ferrule is also really bulky right there as well um it was was that a, a certain part of your guys' design, or is that just the way that it all came together? Because I'd be really curious to see what it, the front end, end of that broadhead, what, what the thinking was on that. Yeah, so I guess if you want to get a little technical, I could I could dive into a little more of the technical specs and kind of how we got to where we were on it. I um, love that. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, yeah, let's, let's dive in. Um, so our background, first kind of where we came from, we're a machining shop first and foremost. We've been, like I said, archery industry for, you know, almost going on a decade and a half. Mm -hmm. Manufacturing itself, um, 35 years. Same shop, family owned. It's been, you know, my family, my dad runs it. I'm one of the main managers of it. And then I spun this tooth arrow company off a couple of years ago, whatever. Um, so we have a lot of experience with different metals and everything else too. Um, and you know all that the engineering background of it so we basically looked at attributes of other broadheads out there that make a lot of sense mm -hmm. so we've taken kind of bits and pieces of what we feel are very good and kind of put into one that's where our testing started from um 
so the tip itself, the whole broadhead is fully machined. So anyone who hasn't really seen our broadhead, um, think of kind of like a so like a like a, a G5, which is one piece. They're metal injected, which is different than ours. And I can get into the differences if you want later on. Um, metal injected versus machining. Um, and then think of a kind of a four blade, like maybe a, a slick trick or something that's a little bit stubbier design and kind of mesh those into one. And that's, that's basically what ours is. Um, different blade thicknesses, different blade angles, but you know, kind of generally speaking, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, so we ended up on a, on a, uh, a, a metal or a steel. It's 11 L 41 is the technical term for it. The exact steel itself. Okay. The 41 is the carbon, the, the 41 is the carbon content. The 11 L is the series of steel that it is. Okay. Um, basically all it is, it's, um, it's a leaded steel, which lets us machine it better, uh, less burrs, stuff like that in the machining process. And then also, um, with the carbon content allows us to heat treat it. So the heat treating process basically hardens the steel. So you have some, you know, ferrules that are aluminum that if they say they're hardened, that's only a case hardened, meaning they put a hardening around the outside, but the center itself is still soft. Um, heat treating, heat treating, you can actually through treat it. So you actually rearrange the carbon molecules within the steel. It's basically like hearing a knife. So when you're forging a blade, you heat it up and then you throw it in water to cure it. So you heat it and then you draw it back, it's called, um, to realign the molecules w- within the blade itself. Um, and there's a bunch of different levels of heat treat, from soft to hard. It's a whole thing called a Rockwell scale mm-hmm. um, that you can basically determine how hard something is. So I was we picked uh, a 40 to 45. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, that's, you're beating me to the punch there. You're, I was wondering, because I, I, it seems like most of the broadheads I like, are around like a 145 to 150 and maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more than that. And I'm not a metal expert, but it just seems, you know, from shooting all these things and then hearing guys talk about what their Rockwell hardness is, it seems like the 150-ish range, give or take from there, seems to be pretty pretty money. Um, it, does that depend on so, the type of steel or does that depend on, I mean, what, what factors go, go into that? Yeah. So, so basically the... You know, the, the average is somewhere between 40 and 60. I mean, you can get like what's called tool steel and other stuff that, that's different, but a lot of things are in that 40 to 60. Okay. And the general rule of thumb, the lower the number, the softer it is. Right. And if it's softer, that means there's more bend. It'll bend more before it breaks, but it will bend easier. The bigger the number, the harder it is and the less likely it is to bend or anything else, but the more brittle it is, so the easier it'll break. So you're always trying to find this happy medium between being hard, but not brittle. And the reason we just a hair, we're a 40 to 45 hardness. And the reason we went a hair on the softer side is because our blades are 40 south thick so we're, our blades are a little bit thicker than a lot of broadheads that have a 32 to 35 thousand thick blade. Mm-hmm. So we could go a little bit softer and not bend as easily because there's more mass there. That makes sense. Cause I, you know, like the, 
for example, I, I've shot kudus all year last year, and I've said, you know, probably the most debated hot broadhead I've ever shot, you know, either love them or you hate oh, them. Yeah. A lot of guys, are, are, you know, it's it's either love or hate relationship with most guys that use them. Um, for me, I'm actually kind of in the middle of the road. Uh, they're they're a softer steel. They're and and I think the benefits to a softer steel would be it's easier to sharpen. Um, Correct. Yep. But at the same time, you know, you're getting guys that are getting the J's out of like the I think the 125s or the 150s. They're starting to get those little bent um, kind of shapes to them and stuff like that, and they nick easier. It's just it's just a softer steel. Yeah, but the, you got the ones like maybe like a, and I don't know what the Rockwell is on the uh, Nap Hellraisers, but man, those are such a pain in the ass to sharpen that they deter me <laughs> from pretty much buying them. My buddy still uses them because he has a bunch of them, but you'll spend forever sharpening those things because they are so freaking hard. And so, um, yeah, yours is yours is on the softer end, but you're saying because of the blade thickness, it allows you to use that softer end. Um. Uh, of the of the of the Rockwell hardness. Correct. Yeah. Well, it's totally different too because, I mean, a lot of blades. You know, you got the the German Lutz steel. You know, those are those are a totally different process. And you got replaceable blades, which are totally different. And so, a lot of different components go into what a lot of people call fixed broadheads, even though they're assembled or there's replaceable blades right. and. So, and the, the different, a lot of differences too, going to the more technical side, um, a lot of three blades, their uh, blade, their physical blade angle, not the pitch off of the ferrule, but the actual blade angle is a 60 degree sharpness, um, which is a, is a steeper pitch, which can actually allow the blade angle to roll over a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could dull quicker we went actually with a a pretty steeper angle we have a 45 degree angle so it's actually sharpened on both sides um so it holds its blade longer Mm. but at the same token you gotta do passes to sharpen on both sides you can't just kind of roll it back to to sharpen it up so there's pluses and minuses to everything um Mm -hmm. And I, honestly, on a side note, I'm probably one of the worst salesmen for, for my company, even though <laughs> I own it. Um, because because if people go, you know, I love my broadhead. You know, I shoot XYZ. Why should I switch to yours? And I tell them, don't switch. If you're happy and love the product you're using, don't switch. You know, that's the silliest thing you could do. If you're, you're so comfortable with your current setup, mm-hmm. why try something new? Broadheads I mean, there's, there's enough those... going on. Oh, go ahead. No, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say there's, there's enough going on mm-hmm. when, when you're in the field that why be thinking about a new product when what you have right now works? That's a good point. Well, I don't know. Broadheads I mean, are one of those those industries, especially with guys like me out there. It's like, okay, what's next? Okay, now what can I shoot? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, yep. and it's, it's, it's almost a catch-22 because eventually you're going to find one of these shitty broadheads and it's going to cost me an animal one of these days. But, um, you know, yep. that's that's what I'm out there doing is testing stuff so guys don't have to, you know, figure it out on their own. They can – I'll find an animal that, you know, like I found a few duds. You know, I didn't even use one for hunting. Oh, yeah. As soon as I took it out of the package. Um, and they used to be, a, you know, they used to manufacture their products, I believe, a lot better. But Dirt Nap, I took one out of the package or three out of the package. 
and it was nicked. It was it was like it had been shot for like a week, and you know it was like what the yep. heck is going on here? And then it was just flimsy plastic ferrule, like felt like a plastic ferrule. I'm not sure if it was or not. I didn't even bother. Yeah. They then they weren't worth my time testing. It just it was like what in the hell is going on here? And uh, and so it's just I think broadheads are one of those those products, man, that guys are always searching for the latest and greatest and the newest. And it's just really, really unique because you don't get that with bows. You don't get that with probably binoculars or really anything else that I know. But broadheads are kind of a, uh, you know, and, and even more so than arrows. It's really weird. And it's funny because it's probably one of the most important parts of the equation when you're going out there and bow hunting. It's the point of impact between you and it, the animal, you know? Oh, yeah. And I, I would totally agree with that. And I guess I could probably tell you at least my opinion, why that's the case. Um, from, from a business standpoint, broadheads have the smallest barrier to entry to get to the marketplace. Really? You know, if, if you, if you want to manufacture a bow, you have a ton of components, a ton of tooling and everything else to get up and running. If you want to manufacture an arrow, you're going to go have to go over, basically go overseas because there's not really anyone that does carbon here in the U S mm. um, and you have to have hu huge runs. So it's going to, there's, again, there's a lot of upfront costs. Um, basically every different carbon weave patent is more or less taken care of already. So you're either going to be pay paying royalties or licensing from someone else. Mm -hmm. And so again, there's pretty big barriers to entry there. A there's not a ton. I mean, yes, there's upfront costs, obviously, but comparatively, there's a lot less upfront costs to get started. So a lot more individuals who have ideas for broadheads can actually bring them to market versus someone who has an idea for a new bow or an idea for a new arrow or an idea for, you know, something else. Um, so that's why the broadhead market seems very saturated. Uh, just because it's much easier to get into, relatively speaking, um, financially, mm -hmm. than a lot of other products. That's really so that's interesting. Why I've never thought about new, that before. New broadheads coming up. Yep, yep. And so that's why there's a lot of new broadheads coming to market um, every year. I mean, you look at, you go to the ATA show, and every year in the you know new product area, there's always five to seven new broadheads every year. Um, it's just because it's one of the easiest product categories to get into in hunting, uh, or in archery, um, in, in general, you know, you know, versus, you know, camo, for example, okay, you develop a pattern. Well, now you need to have, you know, you know, 15 different sizes, you know, 10 different, you know, base layer, everything else too. And yeah. then you're going to go overseas to manufacture it. Um, which again, there's a lot of things that come up with, with doing that. Um, so yeah, broadheads are quite easy in general to get into, um, which is why they're always changing, which is why they're always new ones coming to market. So that, that's a, on the business side of it, kind of why there's, everyone's always testing broadheads because everyone claims to be the new latest and greatest because yeah. there's a ton of new ones coming to market all the time. For sure. I mean, I, I fell prey to, to, you know, just, trying to keep up with it and it's it's pretty much impossible you'd have to be a millionaire to, to keep up with buying yep. and testing broadheads 
And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, so, some things that really stood out to me and, and the main reason when I bought your guys' broadheads for the first time, and the only reason I haven't used them since is because I'm constantly testing, you know, shit is, is because like he put it on the counter and he spun it and I'm just like, it, it was one of the best spinning broadheads I had seen at the time. And granted, he probably squared the arrow and everything before he spun it and, and you know, basically was doing a good job of selling the product, but it just seemed like the the shorter design and the overall de, like design length of the broadhead would be much more capable to keep the the straightness than say something as long as like a cutthroat or something like that. Not to say cutthroats aren't straight as hell, but it would just be easier to keep those tolerances. And then I love the cut on contact design. Um, I'm a big fan of cut on contact heads. I just I I I don't know if you can beat them honestly. I mean they're it would be really hard to beat a con on contact, especially for penetration. And it just was made, I think it was completely made in America. You guys are from like Michigan or something, aren't you? Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota. So we're actually really proud of that. Yeah. We're really proud of that. We, not only is our product made in Minnesota, um, everything we get from our tooling to our steel to everything is U.S. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we keep everything U.S. made. Um, and that's honestly one of the reasons why I think we can, you know, produce the product we do mm-hmm. is our lead engineer has, has been with us for 32 years. Oh, wow. He's been working on the same machines for 32 years, and he heads up all of our – so. I guess going back, um, I'm sure some of the people listening here are in manufacturing. Uh, we do everything on CNC machines, uh, 12 axes, CNC machines. So basically they're computer controls. You write a program, they spit that program out and, and run it, you know, simplified. Um, and it took us actually, after we developed our design, it took us two more years before we actually came to market hmm. because we had to get efficient enough to make it where the price point made sense to buy it. Um, it just, we had, you know, six months in developing it. We found, we had, we found we had a great product that we felt was a place in the marketplace for it. We could either go overseas to reduce our labor costs and everything else and get to the price where we need to be or figure out a way internally to make it where it made sense. And we spent another year and a half to make sure we kept everything in the U S before we brought it to market to get our pricing down where it needed to be. We actually developed a new manufacturing technique that we actually hold patents for this manufacturing technique, um, to improve our, to improve our efficiencies, to get it where we could keep everything a hundred percent U S and that was, that was really important to us. So yeah, we, we ended up cranking out that way and it, uh, we're very happy we did it. Everything's in house now. From well, I take that back. We've outsourced our shipping, but <laughs> the whole manufacturing, everything else is in house, and the shipping's still within the U.S. But every, everything else is in house. Yeah, everything's in house. Yeah, man. When I when I first um, bought your head, uh, the local rep was telling me, or the local um, guy at the counter was telling me, you know, it was a small startup company, and and they're just yep. getting off the ground and, and kind of just grassroots sold me. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Then, no, uh, I mean, it, that's, it's, it's totally, that's totally, that's 100% true. Can I ask, where'd you buy from originally? Waldron's uh, Outdoor Sports. It's just literally 
a two oh, minutes nice. walk yep. time. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, or Oregon, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. John, John is yeah, the one that yeah. that no, was I, telling me about him when they because he knew I was a gear guy. He's like, check these nice. out. <laughs> so yeah, we're actually because did you guys? Uh, I might be totally off here. Are you guys still a six only, or do you guys open up to expandables? We just uh, this year is the first year you can use expandables. That's what okay. That's what I thought. I I thought something was passing shortly, so it just passed. Okay. Yeah, literally this year. Um, I was thinking about using one for turkeys, but I I don't know. I mean, I'm doing this budget bow yeah. thing, and I I don't think I can make fixed blades fit in the budget. But at some point, I'm gonna have to deviate from the budget because yep. I'm gonna shoot too much stuff and eventually yeah. have to buy more gear. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've actually or or again, we did really well. You know our first year we did really well with dealers up obviously in the fixed states there's a couple of them still um we did really well there and then just just because of the durability we did great in in hog country you know go down to texas and oklahoma and those areas we did really well there too um yeah it's slowly catching on and going back to the the spinning you know when when he you know you, you first saw it at, at uh, waldron's mm-hmm. you know obviously i'm, I'm sure the the era was you know, fantastic insert was perfect and everything else too. But, um, the reason that's why we machined it. Um, so there's some popular brands out there right now that are metal injected. Um, a little, the technical side, when you metal inject, you're actually changing the metal to almost a liquid form, putting it in a mold and then rehardening it. When you change states or properties, you're introducing oxygen. Um, and so metal injecting has somewhere between six and 8% oxygen actually within the metal once it hardens. Um, and that's why the whole spin testing came about because oxygen is a lot lighter than metal. And so if you have oxygen outside of the diameter, you're going to have variables in weight outside of it. So if you spin test it, that will show you if you have oxygen outside outside of the diameter shaft, outside of the, outside of, you know, an external weight. That's, in, so that's, that's spin interesting. So yeah, yeah. So if you spin if you, if spin testing, will show that blades are balanced, aka there's no oxygen in the blade. So that's where the whole like spin testing originally came from. But anyways, that, that's, you know, just a little background. No, I love that. On, I love hearing that. that kind of stuff, man. And, and I, you know, from a guy that's not, I don't even know what the proper word is for it, but a metal, you know, connoisseur or a metal yeah. expert. I, I like hearing it from guys that are experts in metal and materials and figuring out why is this material better than this material? You know, what are, you know, the other materials out there? And so I, I really appreciate that because it seems like everybody's claiming they're using the newest, latest, and greatest technology in steel, or they're, they're, you know, I don't know how to even describe it, but they're just trying to sell probably a rehashed material or something that's already been used somewhere else. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I never name names. I never bash other brands because honestly, well, there's a lot of great products out there. There's a lot of things that work very, very well. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that people have used for a long time. If it had a lot of success, with mm-hmm. and the last thing I want to do is tell them that their broadhead's not right. It's not good for them. They need to change when they've had success with it. That's not what I'm there to do. Right. But I want to educate people and say that, well, the reason you spin test 
is because when you metal inject, you introduce oxygen, which creates air bubbles, which can decrease hardness or durability and also offset weight on different blades. And that's why you spin test to make sure there's no oxygen in the blades and it's balanced. Or when someone says it's surgical steel, um, that, that's the exact same as uh, it's, it's stainless steel, just a slightly different grade of stainless steel. Hardness is the exact same. There's no difference in hardness. It's, it's the exact same. You know, and so like, there's a lot of catchphrases that are used out there that it's, it's steel. You know, it's, it's the same thing. So, Have you heard of the uh, Montex CSs, the carbon steels? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of their things, I believe, is that you can get them sharper or something like that with the carbon introduced in there. Is that, um, you know, I, at least I've heard that. Is that something that you would say would be a benefit of adding to the metal, that carbon foot, or, you know, footprint or whatever, that little bit of carbon introducing that? Would that be a benefit, being able to get it sharper? Uh, that has nothing to do with sharpness. It'll, it allows you um, to heat treat it. The, the carbon molecules will realign with heat treating. Okay. Um, so carb, carbon in the steel itself does nothing for sharpness. Sharpness comes down to the angle of the blade and how fine your sharpening is. Perfect. I mean, that, that, that perfect. Cause um, I've, I've always heard and that blade, some guys are claiming that and it's like, man, I mean, that, you know, like prove to me, you're not a criminal. I can't prove to you, you know, it's like a, trying to prove, prove wrong. Well, and negative. Yeah. You can't, I mean, you'd have to talk to the source on that one. So when I get somebody like you, it's nice to ask those kind of questions. Yeah. And it's, it, it's the same thing too. I mean, it's, you know, what penetrates better or what causes, you know, the most hemorrhaging, you know, inside it's, it's very subjective. It basically comes down to kinetic energy and total cutting surface. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, 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 you know, you know, two blade, single bevel, three blade, longer ferrule, four blade. There's, I mean, again, there's a lot of good broadheads out there and we're, we're in a unique position because our manufacturing side is kind of our bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're not trying to be the end-all, be-all for everyone. We're not going to come out with an expandable. We're not going to come out with a three-blade. <laughs> we're very happy with where we are in the marketplace. You know, we're, we know our identity. Our identity is a fully machined, American-made four-blade. Mm -hmm. And with the size we're trying to be, and we're very fortunate that we have, we have you know, probably a, I don't know what the, the dealers. I know 95% of the dealers that buy from us reorder and our online sales, our, our customer base is probably 90 to 93% reorder. So we're very fortunate that once people try us, they tend to like it. That's pretty good, man. I so mean, that sounds impressive to me. I, I, I don't own my own broadhead company, but if I had 90, you know, something percent success for having people come back and listen to the podcast, which I don't know what it is. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> well, you should, you, you should, you should try, you should try some metrics out, you know, get some, you know, some email subscriber list and see kind of what the unsubscribe rate is versus the, you know, share with a friend and, you know, yeah. get, get some metrics and kind of see what people like. I should, man. I do all that with my YouTube channel, but with the, uh, with the analytics that I have available for the podcast, it's, it's not near as good. YouTube's really on top of the game to be able to analyze the data and stuff. I, I could tell you, you know, what average age, 
what average people listen to the videos. Oh, that's awesome. It's crazy. YouTube's all out. Do you guys have a YouTube channel? I mean, we technically own a channel, but there's nothing up there. It's, oh. <laughs> here's the hard thing too. We're, 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 we're a small enough company where I'm kind of the jack of all trades. You know, we outsource some stuff and whatever, but it's just hard to stay on top of everything. It's, it's, it's what's the best venue. Is it YouTube? Is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it, you know, I, it's kind of the live and learn. I'm, I don't know. How, how old are you? Uh, 29. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're we're basically the same age. I'm, I'm 30, I'm 33. Okay. And it's kind of the thing where I didn't get Facebook till my sophomore year in college, junior year in college. And it's kind of, I, I'm learning as I go, put it that way. It's, <laughs> I don't have, I mean, I, I, I've talked to so many people about, you know, Google analytics and you got to do this and this and SEO stuff or whatever it's called, you know, all that. And I, I get it, but we sent a massive customer survey out last year mm -hmm. and basically saying, how did you hear about us? You know, pro shop, social media, be specific, you know, all this stuff. And the vast majority was from a friend. Yep, as I say, word of so mouth is it, the uh, best form of marketing yep. and probably the cheapest. Um, yep. So. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. It. It definitely is. Yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of just, we're just kind of sticking with the grassroots and you know word of mouth. People hopefully people like it or enough people like it that they tell a buddy or two and you know they give us a try. Well, I know my my hunt partner Anthony. Um, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast enough to hear him on the podcast, but uh, Team Dirty Trad is is his Instagram name. And yep. He's uh he was actually kicking around the idea of using uh, your guys' arrows this or your guys' broadheads this year, and I'm like, well, I'm actually having the owner on Monday, <laughs> and he's like, no shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but Perfect. he's, in, he's yeah. in Salem. I was I was gonna try and get him on here to to just you know figure out if it was a broadhead he you know he'd want to use and everything. And um, I did a review on YouTube a couple years ago, and it didn't get a lot of views. You know, I'd say less than probably. 3,000 for sure less than 3,000 I think and uh you know there's there was guys that were searching for tooth of the arrow on YouTube and really appreciated the feedback and yep. stuff and I imagine that's that's the kind of thing that you know a newer company would need is that kind of exposure and actually guys killing stuff with it and saying here's here's how you know here's how it went you know here's the blood trail and stuff like that um and and where I'm leading into that with blood trails is, you know, I, I personally believe that you can't, you can't really predict a blood trail. Um, but I believe that you can increase, if you look at blood trails, the way that I, and you, and correct me if you disagree with this, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, dying on any mountains here. Uh, but when I, when I review a broadhead now, I, I kind of just don't say pass or fail. It's more of like on a spectrum. And so for, like all year last year, like I said, I used the kudus and people are like, well, how are the blood trails? I'm like, well, if you go on a spectrum, I believe it's probably around a seven, you know, a six and a half to a seven of producing blood trails, meaning sometimes you're going to get one. Sometimes you aren't. I believe it's, it's not going to be the best broadhead for blood trails. You're decreasing the likability of a blood trail just by the way it's designed with the exit and the entry wounds, 
I, I believe having more of a hole rather than a slice will produce a better exit for the blood to escape. Um, and I believe that your broadhead produces more consistently a, a better blood trail than, say, a single bevel would or something on the lines of that. Is that, from your experience in testing, is, is that semi-accurate or does that ring true at all? Yeah. So, actually – Going back to uh, your, you know, your your co-host want to try us out. Have him, have him send me a DM. I'll give him a pack or two. Just play around with that. That will make his decision easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, go, going uh, going back to the blood trails. Um, so I actually really like the fact that you said the spectrum um, because that's totally true. It's and everything's different. It depends on shot placement too. I mean, you can't just say hit an animal, there's the blood trail. Right. It's depending on what you hit, it's going to be totally different every time. Um, and, it, you know, with that said, blood trail is not everything with dropping an animal. You want the most internal damage possible or most, you know, energy displaced within the cavity of the animal to drop it. And yes, blood trail is a byproduct of everything being displaced inside of it mm-hmm. um four blades will again give you more cut than say a, a three blade it, it, it's going to core it more and open up more of a channel for blood so apples to apples yes you'll get some more blood out, blood out of it but i hate when people say well i base my opinion on blood trail because <laughs> that's only part of the equation when it, when it comes to when it comes to putting an animal down quickly and quickly and everything else too. So it's part of the equation. Yes, we do produce more blood, in my opinion, than a typical three blade, but that's only a little portion of everything that should be factored into what you're using. Right, and so. and there's so many factors that go into that. You know, like I hear, oh, you know, this broadhead produces the biggest badass ass, you know, blood trails on the market, and it's like, yep. man, oh yeah, you know, if you shoot an animal in the femoral artery, any any broadhead, you know, is gonna look like it's devastating. Yep. I mean, if you shoot one in the knee, you're gonna get immediate blood. Does that make that one better than? Yeah, you know, it's just so. There's no, I, I don't believe there's a perfect test for testing broadheads out there. And I'm constantly, you know, looking at old tests I've done thinking, you idiot, <laughs> you know, like that's not going to work. <laughs> and, uh, it's out yeah, there for people I mean, to see, you know, but, um, you know, for example, I, I go off of blood trail, probably consistency. How, how consistently are you going to get a better blood trail? It's not, did you shoot this animal? Did you get a blood trail? It's not that black and white, you know, and, and for, correct. you know, yep. I, I would personally like to see, my, you know, my, my probably my favorite design would be like a traditional style with bleeders um, would probably be my favorite style. However, I haven't found one that I'm absolutely in love with. But design wise, that gets me pretty much everything that I want. And it's basically just, you know, a tooth of the arrow with with shorter, you know, two blades being shorter that are perpendicular or uh, that are in line with each other. And that's really the only difference. I mean, if you guys shortened your. I'm not saying you need to do this, but your your design is so close to what I would shoot. It's just four full size blades versus having two mini blades. You know, we we we've actually designed that to to the T. What you're describing, um, we've designed it. I have um, off offline. I can send you a picture of 
what it looks like and you'll laugh because it's <laughs> what you, you know it's sitting on my desk right now actually uh-huh. um but the reason we didn't bring that to market is testing we found zero flight difference we found zero durability difference and we by cutting two of the blades down to bleeders now we're actually about 10 percent less cut surface than a three blade mm-hmm. so that's the that's the only reason we didn't bring it to market because if someone asks us the question why two blades with bleeders over a three blade we had no answer for it right. with a four blade we actually have, a, we, have, we, have we have an answer why you know the the, the bigger cutting surface so the more cutting surface um yeah i'll actually i'll, I'll send you um i work from home and i go in the office uh, three days a week <laughs> cool. so on 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 wednesday well the office is a manufacturing shop and honestly i like working from home <laughs> quite a bit i got a little i got a nice little home office set up um i'll send you a picture on wednesday uh-huh. and uh you're you're gonna laugh so hard um you're, you're gonna look at it and go Oh yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Because yeah. yeah, it's it's been we've made it. It's sitting right on my desk. I've tested it a ton. Yeah, you'll 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 chuckle. That's funny. Yeah, because I've I've talked to a few guys about you know, you know, kind of like the you know conversation. You know what I'd like to have in a broadhead, or, or if I designed a broadhead conversation, and it's always funny because guys are like you know, I got something pretty darn similar, or they've thought about it themselves, and and uh, it just oh yeah, I I just I just for whatever reason through using all the broadheads that just seems to be my favorite design so far uh but another thing that i i like to ask is have you guys thought about going non-vented at all and what is the reason for going vented over non-vented yep so we actually have a non-vented in our ancient 316th it's a 175 grain okay um the reason we invented is because it allows us so because our blades are 40 thou thick, they're pretty durable um, with the heat treat and everything else too. And going vented, um, we found there was no whistle. So the noise, there's no noise difference um, between a vented or non-vented. But by putting more of the weight within the diameter, diameter of the shaft, it allowed us to get better flight. Less variables, less wiggle outside of the shaft. So it was more, you know, more field tip-like, I guess you could say. Um, and, and that's why we ended up, um, going with the, with, with the vents in it. That's interesting. So you guys actually tested the vented versus the non-vented and you didn't see any, any difference yep. in the sound? No, uh, minimal. I mean, obviously there's, if, if you take a, a decibel reading, yeah. there's a hair difference. Um, but nothing, nothing compared to, when we compared it to other four blades broadheads that had replaceable blades mm-hmm. um the the noise difference was substantial it was substantially less what we had by because because when you have to fit blades into a ferrule to fit them in you have to have clearance and clearance means gaps so there's room to fit stuff in mm-hmm. when you machine something out of one solid piece you eliminate those gaps and so you eliminate any extra space for air to flow into and whistle out of that makes sense um so so we yes i invented versus non-invented there's a hair of a difference but comparatively to replaceable blade head 
um, it was much, much less. And so that's why we decided we felt it was more of a benefit to have a much better flight than just a hair quieter. Interesting. So yeah, we, we, we did look at both. Well, I, I know when I've shot it up against and we, you know, we'll have somebody standing off to the side safely, uh, and we're shooting, you know, broadheads past them safely. Um, <laughs> cause it sounds, <laughs> it sounds sketchy, uh, that, you know, there, there is a obvious difference between designs and broadheads and, for example, we'll, yes. we'll compare apples and oranges just because it's it's blatantly obvious that, say, something like a Kudu broadhead or a Helix or something like that that is a single bevel non-vented or a bone broadhead is obviously going to be quieter than a Whistler like a Dirtnap or a Montec. And there's there's stark differences. And so with, with yours, um, I noticed that it was quieter than... Most of the other broadheads that were apples to apples, if not all of them, it was it was on par. Uh, but I will say with those with those more surface area cutting or those larger blades, and granted I was shooting the XLs, you're going to hear them push that wind more. There's no whistle, but you can definitely hear that that pushing the wind more uh, kind of sound that that kind of sound. Um, yes. And oh. Ab- Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a territory that comes with with using a four blade XL or really probably any four blade that's out there that has decent blade sizes. Uh, what would be, I guess, where I'm leading with that is is what would be, in your opinion, in in, in the fairness of transparency, what would be some drawbacks to maybe your guys your guys's design over? Um, say maybe like a slick trick or a you know traditional three blade. Sure, yeah. Um, so I back to what you said about the the wind. Um, you know, you tried the XL again. That's pushing thirty five or thirty three percent more air. So right. so drop that drop that sound back about thirty three percent, and that's our one inch. You know, because it's just pushing much more air. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it does make that that pushing sound. Um. And, you know, again, it comes with the territory of being a, a fixed blade. Right, it's a big um, head. I mean, it is, it there's it. a lot going on there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, you you get you get to the inch and three sixteenths, and now you have, you know, you're you're over three inches of cutting surface. Mm-hmm. So it's it's getting out there. Um, biggest drawbacks: you can't replace the blades. You know, uh, people are are saying, you know, it's funny. So when it, we first started selling this, I would tell everyone, you know, it's fully machined from one solid piece. They look at it and they go, how do you replace the blades? <laughs> you don't, you know, that's, that, that's the biggest drawback. If you're looking for a broadhead that, you know, you can scuff a blade up and then replace the blade. We're not your broadhead. You know, if yes, you can resharpen it. Yes, you can touch it up. But if you, you know, bend a blade too far, or damage the tip of the ferro, you know, whatever. Yeah, you got to replace the broadhead. You know, our our price point is decent. You know, we're forty bucks, you know, for a three pack for the one inch, and we're you know forty five bucks for a three pack of the inch and three sixteenths. So we're right in the middle of the road for price point. Um, but that's, I would say, that's the biggest drawback, um, of of our design. You, you just can't replace the blades. So if if it does get damaged, you're throwing the whole thing out. You're not replacing the blade. One thing I would add is, um, 
I, I did buy the sharpener um, that that you guys made. And if I was going to suggest somebody buy your heads, I would also buy the sharpener uh, just because the sharpener yep. made it so much more faster and easier. And it was a pain in the ass without the sharpener for me. Um, I'm not a sharpening it, guru. It, it, but... Yeah. No, it, it is a total pain in the ass too, because, because our blades are at 45 degrees it doesn't work on a stone. You can't use a flat stone to sharpen it up because those flat stones are made for 60 degree and on 40, 45 degree, it's just, it's not going to work. Right. So our sharpener for people, who, people who haven't seen it, it's just a traditional V sharpener. It's about six inches long and there's two stones offset at basically it's 22 and a half degrees total for a 45 degree inclusive angle. So basically one blade sits between the two stones you pass it along, you hit two sides or two blades, one side of each, and then you rotate it and you hit all eight sides of, you know, so four blades, two sides each, hit all eight sides. That makes sense. And, and I guess another question is you guys use the, you said the L41 or what, what was still, were you guys using? Uh, we use a medium grit. Um, uh, what's the actual grit of it? Uh, off the top of my head, obviously I'm blanking out on the oh. grit of it. It's a medium grit. No worries. I was just curious if there was, um, you know, it, there's probably obviously better stills than that, but in order to get it down to the price point, you guys went with the still that you did. We did. It's a very, it's a middle of the road. Um, so our price point on our sharpener is 30 bucks. Um, if we looked at doing, you know, a pack of different grits, replaceable stones, all that, all of a sudden we're in the 50 to $60 range. Mm -hmm. And, and, it removes a lot of people from that price point. Um, that's the hardest thing, I guess, going back to the business side of stuff, the hardest thing is trying to find a happy balance. What will make the most people happy and be the most kind of economical sense? Because we could have come out with a broadhead, you know, we could change the hardness, we could change it to a total stainless steel, we can do a bunch of other stuff. Well, then all of a sudden it's, $150 for a three pack. And, but we wanted to, we wanted to have broadheads that are more accessible to the average person. I don't want to call them the weekend warrior, but it's, it's someone who isn't going to be concerned if they lose a broadhead. You know, yeah, could we make a sharpener that could be, you know, interchangeable with different stones and hone it better and all that? We could, but then it'd be a 75, you know, to a hundred dollar sharpener. And we want to provide the absolute best product we can for the average person to have the best hunting experience that they, that they can. We don't, we don't want to feel like you need to go on a $10,000 hunt to use our product. Right. If that makes sense, I guess. Well, no, you know, it we're, does. we're just and trying to be for everyone. It's, um, I mean, I, I've been in line with that thinking all year with with the budget bow challenge and just saying you know shit's kind of getting ridiculous <laughs> you know like there there's yeah. guys that are doing great with 130 dollars pack broadheads and you know i believe that the quality is yeah. there yeah. and everything and it's justified however you know i mean does that make the guy that goes out there with a pack of muzzies feel inferior or feel that his broadhead yeah. maybe can't get the job done and, and the answer is no i mean they can both get the job done. Exactly. Um, but, you know, my thing would be, you know, kind of like relating it to, I guess, rifle hunting is is if I had to go to the store, and, and this doesn't apply to me, but I, I think for maybe guys that hunt maybe more eastern 
kind of guys, maybe guys around Minnesota is if I'm on a hunt and say I, you know, maybe ruined a few broadheads before I went out and, you know, maybe I hit them together and I shouldn't have been shooting groups. Is the broadhead available enough for guys to go to just most broadhead store or most archery stores and pick up another pack of replacement broadheads? Because I know if I'm shooting, um, let's just say if I'm shooting a, an iron wheel, those aren't really in very many stores. I don't know of very many guys that even carry those. Um, so if you run out of those, you're kind of screwed if you're wanting to shoot those broadheads. Um, are you guys in enough stores right now to where a guy would have a pretty good, decent chance if he, if he does have to go out and buy more right off the bat that he could find them? Uh, you look at the most recent membership of, of ATA, there's something like, I don't know, a thousand or 1100 registered archery stores mm -hmm. in, in ATA. For those who don't know that, that's the archery trade association. It's kind of the, the business trade show, you know, of, of archery. Um, we're in, I've looked at my numbers, but right yes and no. Um, if you're, if you're hunting, uh, out West of the Mississippi, mm -hmm. there's a good chance we're in any, any, any store you go to, um, besides any of the majors. We're not in Bass, Cabela's, any of the big boys. Um, but, a pro shop, you know, out of this, those 200 stores, I would say 160 of them are, or 150 of them are west of the Mississippi. That seems um, pretty, that seems so pretty we're, good. We're, I mean, that's that's a lot of that's a pretty good market it, penetration. It it is considering two thirds of all the stores are east of the Mississippi. <laughs> so right. so we're you know west of the Mississippi is a third you know a third the size of east of the Mississippi and that's where three quarters of our dealers are. Um, so we've had a much better success rate out West. Um, Makes sense. And that's you know, because you're getting, you're getting the fixed blade States out West. We're getting the fixed blade States. There's a lot, there's a lot more spot and stock, um, which, you know, leads to longer shots, um, which ours fly great at distance, especially our one inch. Um, and it's more, it's a quicker business cycle um, because a lot of, especially when you get Southern, uh, there's a more or less year round hunting, depending what season it is. Um, so people are quicker to try new stuff where, for example, you go to, you know, a Michigan or whatever, and it's the vast majority is deer season. And that's once a year. So if you introduce someone a product in 2017, let's say, they think about it in 2017, they use their old broadhead in 2017, 2018, they play around with yours, they think about using it, their buddy said cool, and then they try it in 2019. Well, that's a 24-month business cycle just <laughs> to get one new customer. Yeah. You know, um, when out west, someone might try something in the fall and by spring or early summer, you know, two seasons later, depending where they are, they might be on to you. So it's it's just a it's a quicker business cycle out west, and which which leads itself better to younger companies having a better success rate. That makes a lot of sense. I never even thought about it like that. I figured just that you know I take Pennsylvania for granted. I'm like, man, if you can make it in Pennsylvania, that's like the bow hunter mecca I hear. <laughs> you know, like 
It just seems yeah, like it, most of the bows are designed around Pennsylvania tree stand hunter, hunters and stuff like that. Stuff like that. Oh, it, it definitely is because that's by far the biggest marketplace. I mean, yeah. in Michigan alone, in you know Wisconsin, which is I think the third largest state, you have something like three hundred thousand registered hunters. Pennsylvania is something like five or six hundred thousand. I mean, there's a ton of people that bow hunt, but it's once a year. So it's a very, very, it's a very slow business cycle from the business side of it. And that's why the East Coast is always kind of lagging, depending on the product, two to four years behind the West Coast, um, only because of the business cycle, um, of how long it takes things to enter that new product market, um, just because it's a much shorter time that they can use products. So most, if you're looking for the new, the new hot product, look west. That's absolutely no knock on people out east. Uh, I think they're just as up to date, just as informed as everyone else. Just there's snow on the ground for seven months of the year, six months of the year. <laughs> they're, they're not outside playing around with stuff. You know, they're just not they're they're not playing around with stuff. So it it takes that much longer for a new product to work its way to work its way east. So if something's catching on out west. Give it time. Give it two to four years, and it'll be catching on out east. That that really makes sense. And from a business perspective, that you know, you I mean from a guy like me that doesn't have that perspective, it's fine. It's it's good to hear stuff like that because it helps me uh, understand you know the market better and why things are the way they are. Um, I guess I've got one yep. more question here for you, and uh, it's kind of an oddball question. There's one broadhead I've seen that's three blade single bevel. Um, did you guys ever play, play or test a four blade single bevel? We have, we've got that question, um, a decent amount and twofold from the manufacturing side. Mm -hmm. It's a little harder for us to do. Um, not a lot harder, a little harder. Um, a three, a three blade single bevel is actually harder for us just just for machine out of solid, we're taking a lot more of the body away, so a lot more scrap, which decreases cycle time, increases cost, Makes because sense. we're producing less per hour. Um, but the way we're set up for the sharpening, going to a single bevel, it, it we couldn't take as much, we, we couldn't do it as efficiently as we could um, with doing a uh, 45 degree, you know, two side sharpening. Mm. It, it would, it'd be, it'd be harder to get the sharpness we felt acceptable. Makes sense. Um, and yes, we actually did. We didn't do a four blade single. We did a, a three blade single mm-hmm. and just our penetration test, everything else too. We found no difference. So interesting with how we were set up. We, we went with the, the, a 45 degree, you know, both sides. Um, it just, we didn't find much of a difference. I've always wondered, cause I've seen one broadhead single bevel three blade. Um, cause I was I'm like, wonder why, I wonder why we don't see these. And I'm always, you know, interested in thinking outside the box and, and if it would work, you know, um, but it, I mean, it, it didn't really see any benefit over penetration wise or, um, wound channel wise over your, your guys's blade design. No, I, I didn't. Um, you know, I think when you get to that level of detail, there'll be a few people that tell a difference. 
but it's, you know, I liken it to someone going out and hitting a golf ball or, you know, let's say let's hitting two golf balls side to side mm-hmm. and then asking which one, which one has a harder core or a softer core. <laughs> the average golfer, you know, the average golfer has no idea. Yeah. If you're a, a touring, a touring professional on the PGA, you'll be like, Oh my gosh. Oh, Hey, that was, Oh, that, that was definitely better. Whatever. Um, so some people will tell difference, but the absolute, you know, 98% of people will, won't notice any difference. And if we can save 15% our cost, 20% of our cost and keep a broadhead that's affordable to the majority, mm-hmm. that's what we want to do. So that's, that's why we did play around with it on the three blade, but that's why we, you know, ultimately ended up with, with the design we have. Sweet. Well, I, I'm happy with, with the, uh, with the conversation we had, man, I mean, it was a really transparent, um, you know, conversation you asked or you answered some, I I would think tougher questions and stuff like that. And I'm always kind of nervous having somebody on that has a product because I don't want it to turn into like an hour long ad, you know, (laughs) of why you should buy this or why you should buy that. And so I really appreciate the the transparency and and the fairness and, and how you talked about your product and stuff like that. And, and it really made sense on how you guys came to your um, to your to, to your four blade design that you have. I mean, it it answered a lot of questions that I had personally. My main thing was penetration and and stuff like that. And you answered it, you know, in in great detail. So I appreciate your time, Luke. And 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 it sounds like you you're on a good yeah. thing, and you guys are growing and everything. So it's great to see an American made company starting to do good, kind of even with a grassroots effort. Yeah, thanks, thanks. And how about um, I'll do a reverse? I'll do a an uh, an anti plug. If you're <laughs> listening to this and are ha- and, and are totally happy with your setup and your broadhead, you don't need to try us because you're happy and your setup works, so you're good. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, if you are looking for a new broadhead, here's my plug. Um, we do <laughs> offer a single pack, so a, a one broadhead that. For anyone who wants to try us, for a dollar ninety nine on our website. So mm-hmm. any new customer, try us out on us a buck ninety nine. Yes, I lose a ton of money on that, but most people that try us end up buying it. So I'm happy to give broadheads away. There's my there's my thirty second plug. There you go. Hey, no, I appreciate it, man. And that that dollar ninety nine just probably doesn't even cover the shipping, but um, I mean that's that's pretty cool that that you're doing that. And I think it's a great idea for marketing. I mean. You could just rack it up as the uh, cost to attain customers or whatever that term is, but yeah, um, yep, so. yeah. I, I I rack I rack it up in the marketing cost. I could take a multiple full page ads out for X number of dollars, or I could more or less the dollar ninety nine covers our packaging costs and our physical packaging costs, um, and I rack it up as just a, a marketing cost and we're fortunate enough that we've been doing it now for oh about six months or so seven months and the people that have tried us and have ended up buying from us off of that just because we, we we give a discount code a coupon you know for off their first order too with mm-hmm. that sample mm-hmm. just kind of track just kind of tracking that um our conversion has been enough where it's actually making a lot of sense and you know Money aside, it's just nice to see. It's nice affirmation that once people try it, they t- genuinely tend to like it. But 
a lot of people do say, you know what, it does fly good, it is sharp, and I do like it. That's just, as a designer, as an owner, you know, it, it makes you feel good inside. No, I bet, and, and be able to create something, I mean, it's just nice having something that you created from scratch, so that that was inside of your head, brought into reality, yeah. to have it accepted, I mean, exactly. that feels, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling, so I, congratulations on that, man, I mean, it's pretty cool to see. Thank you. But all Thank right, you. man. Well, uh, why don't you give a pe- uh, the people a place to go, uh, like your Instagram and, and maybe a, a web page that they can go check out your product and get a hold of that promo. Yes, uh, it's just you know, tooth of the arrow broadheads plural, so it's an S at the end. So tooth of the arrow broadheads dot com. Everything's there. Um, you'll get a little pop up saying subscribe to our newsletter. I, I honestly recommend doing that. We don't spam. We send out once maybe twice a month and everything that comes out has a discount code on it so it's literally coupons for free, for free stuff we don't spam we don't sell information you know nothing like that um i would say our facebook page but with how the facebook google instagram algorithms are recently with hunting um things are being siphoned pretty much um, so a lot of news feed stuff and we can talk more about that offline if you want, but yeah. it's been the, the last couple of years have been a little, little, little hassle there. Um, but yeah, our website's the best place to get information on it. Um, honestly, and if you are in an area, promote your pro shop. Um, we're in a lot of pro shops and being a small business owner, I want people to support small businesses. So uh, whenever you can support your pro shop. So if we're in your pro shop, buy it from them. If you're not, buy it through your website. Awesome. I love hearing that kind of thing. So, all right, Luke, well, I'll let you get going here, man, but I really appreciate your time and, uh, I'll definitely, I'll have you just send me those broadheads and then I'll sell them to Anthony. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, actually mark them up. I think they're what, 50 a pack, 60 yeah. pack, something like that. Yeah. I I'll know. tell him I paid there. 30 or something and then he, he can, he can have them for 25 or <laughs> Perfect. That's what I like. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't listen to the all podcast. Right. I, I, but... I, yeah exactly i I appreciate the time tonight hey no worries man and and i'll have this up probably literally tonight it only takes me about 20 minutes from time from here to now to get it up so um there'll be a little bit of editing with the uh with the uh uh little pause we we had there where i lost connection so it might be a little while before it's up but it'll be up tonight man so and i'll tag you on instagram and everything to see it yeah and and the people looking for it um the one pack samples on our website too. Um, the promo code you need to enter to get the discount on the one pack is uh, try us. So T R Y U S, all one word at checkout, and that drops the total price down to a dollar ninety nine. So that's that's, that's cool. what they need to know to to to, to, to try it out. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I, I don't think I know anybody else that does that. So, um, and for guys like me that love to test yeah. gear out, that's 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 yeah. nice of you to say the least. So saying, put your money where your mouth is. So that's, <laughs> that's what we did <laughs> for sure. Well, all right, man. Well, I really appreciate your time and we'll talk a little bit off offline here in a second, but, um, thanks everybody for listening and, uh, be sure to give Luke a check out on Instagram and, uh, I'll put links to his website and Instagram in the description box below. If you're wanting to just get a quick way to check it out. So, all right guys, we'll see you later. See you Luke. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. See ya. Bye. All right, guys, that's this episode of the podcast. If you want to go check them out, go to Tooth of the Arrow Broadheads, plural, uh, .com, and uh, use that promo code TRYUS. It's it's pretty risk-free, man. Two bucks, and you get a you know a, a 20 or $10 broadhead 
or $15 broadhead shipped to your door. That's a pretty good deal. So uh, outside of that, really appreciate everybody for listening to the podcast. And as always, I'll see you on the next one. Bye.